All right. So, Lonnie, you sing. I'll read your aura. Oh, honey. No one wants to hear me sing. Why don't you sing and I'll read your aura? Yeah. No. That's not going to happen. Well, how are we going to practice our aura reading if no one sings? All right. Let's rock, paper, scissors for it. Okay? Okay. One, two, three. Ha <laughs> ha. Paper covers rock, baby. Best two out of three? Nope. You got to sing. All right, fine. Copacabana or Bandstand Boogie? Definitely Copacabana. All right. But when we practice with the throwing stars, you're the target. Maybe let's just do the show then. Welcome to Still Dead. I'm story expert Lonnie Diane Rich of Chipperish Media. And I'm researcher and Southern Fried Scholar, Dr. Kelly Jones. And we're here today to talk about Angels, Season 2, Episodes 1 and 2, Judgment, and Are You Now or Have You Ever Been? Both of which are watchers. We're ready to try some of that Van Helsing Jr. crap, so let's raise the stakes. In Judgment, a mixed-up vision leads Angel to kill the wrong demon, the protector of a pregnant woman whose baby has been targeted by the Dark Ones. Joe must stand trial for an ancient, not-so-big-on-actual-justice tribunal, and she needs a champion to fight for her or else she will be killed. Angel takes the place of the champion he killed, bears his soul at a mystical karaoke bar to find Joe, gets help from Gunn, kicks ass on horseback, and saves Joe and her baby, who are placed under the tribunal's protection until the baby comes of age. We meet Lorne, the musical seer of souls, and we get to see Gunn and Fate. And while Angel serves as a champion to right the wrong he caused, Darla recovers from her re-entry to the world with Lindsay and Lila, and she wants nothing more than to see her dear boy once again. Judgment aired on September 26, 2000. It was directed by Michael Lang, who also directed season one's Sanctuary. Judgment was written by Joss Whedon and David Greenwald with teleplay by David Greenwald. All right, Kelly Jones, what are your moments of perfect happiness in this one? Oh, my God. Every time I watch this episode, the second it opens, I clap and cheer and say, Lorne, I love you, Lorne. <laughs> Plus, you know, I will survive. All right. Like, mm -hmm. <laughs> Lorne is one of my favorite characters on Angel. His sanctuary and soul reading are so fantastic. And I see him as a musical shaman. Right, part healer, part empath, part seer. And he embodies this incredible ability not to judge others while creating safe space for anyone who needs it. And I freaking love him. I know. I mean, we try not to spoil, you know, or talk about things to come. Uh, but we couldn't help it when Gunn showed up. We're like, oh, my God, Gunn, you know. And it's kind of the same thing now with Lauren. I love Lauren. It's so good to see him. I just there's something about it. Every time he shows up, it's like when you see an old friend again and you're like, oh, my God, I forgot how much I love you. you yes, know? exactly. <laughs> Exactly. And it's just such a fun feeling. I absolutely love that. And this is actually a really good episode. I mean, season two is starting out pretty good. Oh, yeah, definitely. And yeah, and but I just love because he's a new character. Mm -hmm. It's a new space. It's something, you know, we haven't seen before. And it it's just really marking this as, okay, hold on to your hats, y'all. 
We're yeah. doing something different in season two. <laughs> right. It's it's Angel really moving into itself. We sort of started this toward the end of season one, and now we are moving full force into season two with purpose, which I love. Um, I also love that we open, you know, with the team in action. We have them in the gym, you know, helping the helpless. And I think it's a good thing that Broken Glass doesn't kill vampires because, damn, Angel crashes through a lot of it. The man <laughs> has not used a door. I don't think since the middle of season one. Every time he goes anywhere, it's like, boom, right through the whatever. Is there a glass barrier? Let me just hit it with my face. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I think it's because they know how much I enjoy seeing Angel smash through barriers of all kinds. Oh, yeah. But I really loved the fairy tale aspect of the smash mirrors as gateways to other places. Mm -hmm. You know, so we kind of have this through the looking glass feeling and that's going to carry through season two. Mm-hmm. And I love it. Um, but I also <laughs> love kind of the just this nonchalant humor that we get from Angel, you know, so when they're leaving the gym and I love how, how they're walking as a team, you know, and they're yeah. all badass. Mm-hmm. And the guy working at the gym says, that guy has horns. <laughs> and Angel says, steroids, not good for you. <laughs> it's so great. I know. I know. It's adorable. And I mean, in this opening scene, I can't help but notice that angel reflects and all that like this this gym is loaded with mirrors yeah <laughs> angel reflects <laughs> in all of them and i'm like you know y'all could have tried a little bit harder but aside from that no it was it's it's kind of adorable i love the the opening team i love that we have cordelia's apartment as the new headquarters yeah yeah yep absolutely I think it's really cool mm-hmm. and i love the um the whiteboard they're keeping up with all of their notes and they've developed this shorthand so they have the NDUO nasty demon origin unknown (laughs) (laughs) I love it and they're so organized they're going after all of this they've got this you know and Angel of course has this whole thing about how he's you know he's doing the work he's being the champion so that he could become human again you know and it's interesting because he turned down humanity you know he turned it down twice basically right. i mean the the first one was the the ring of the gem of amara right which which gives mm-hmm. him sort of all the benefits of humanity but he's still a vampire and he you know passed that along and then when uh he was with buffy and he was human again he decided not to do that because she would they were going to need a fighter in the you know the dark soldiers or whatever it was that was about um so so it's kind of interesting now to see him i think the difference is that that this is like a universal force stamping him with permission. You know, that it's that that is actually earning the redemption that he needs to earn. Yeah. And there's something about knocking on the door three times. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. You're supposed right. Supposed to be denied twice. And then mm-hmm. the third time you get the answer. And and I like how they're doing that here, because each time he had that chance for humanity, the sort of the stakes and the depth of that increased Mm -hmm. so the first time you know he had the ring well that's external to him yeah it Mm -hmm. could be taken away it could be stolen it could fall into the hands of angelus like that's not real humanity Mm -hmm. the second time he could have had humanity but none of his strength none of his purpose right Mm -hmm. but this time he has the opportunity to fulfill a destiny and become human yeah yeah, which I think is the difference here, right? Mm-hmm. You know, that's that it gives him that opportunity for like, that is the redemption. 
nothing else had redemption with it. So it's not just about being human. I don't think, honestly, it's really about being human at all. I think it's, uh, did I say humid? <laughs> I mean, not really about being human at all. <laughs> Obviously. Obviously, it's hot. It's summertime. Uh, I've got humidity on the brain. Um, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I mean, it's not about being human at all. It's about having that redemption finally achieved, like that there's this external force that's saying, yes, you have earned this. You you are forgiven, you know? Right, right. Um, and that was one of the things that he said he wanted, right? I want forgiveness. And now that his purpose has shifted from helping mm-hmm. the helpless to saving souls, yeah, you know, it's kind of that question of, okay, you save people, who saves you? Right. And mm-hmm. now he has a chance to, you know, not only save souls, but to also, in a way, save his own. Yeah, which I think is really cool. Yeah. Also, okay, let's not forget, Lila, Lindsay, <laughs> Darla, let's go. <laughs> Moments of perfect happiness in a little threesome. Oh, God, yes. <laughs> it's so much fun. I love Lila. Lila is truly, truly terrible, but because she is so, like, unapologetically terrible, and she's supposed to be terrible because she's a bad character, right? Mm-hmm. But I mean, the you're not handicapped, you're handicapable. Like, yeah, that is such an intense amount of asshole in such an efficient use of wording. Like, it's incredible. <laughs> yeah, it is. And, and I, I really love, I mean, I love the dynamic of Lindsay and Darla, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but the dynamic of Lila and Darla is really interesting because Mm -hmm. Lila is always so smooth and so good. And like, she Mm -hmm. was awesome with Faith and Mm -hmm. she's not, you know, she's not afraid of anybody, but she cannot handle Darla. Like she can't figure out how to talk to her. She is out of her element with her. And you know, Lindsay finally looks over at Lila and says, shut up. She's not a child. Yes. You know, because mm-hmm. Lila is trying to use this soothing, calm, you know, are you okay kind of voice. Yeah. Darla's got no time for that shit. And Lindsay knows it. <laughs> I know. and, and, and I love Lindsay bonding with Darla over music, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and Chopin. Um, yeah. Chopin being like the thing that connects them. But Darla's wrong about the waltzes. I just have oh, to say. Is she? Like, I love her, but the waltzes are fucking fantastic. And I will die on that hill. All but right. I, I, I just, I really liked seeing that play out between the two of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that Lindsay's already trying to bond with her when she talks about Angel killing her Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Lindsay says you know he's taken from us both like he's he sees himself in this sympathetic way with darla Mm -hmm. and she is already playing him and he is clueless yes and i love it i know it is so (laughs) wonderful and i love that smile on her face when she says angel it's been a long time i'd love to see that boy oh god yes it's so great like julie benz and I'm, i'm you know over on still pretty we just you know, finished up uh, the episode about uh, where, where Angel kills her, right? You know, mm-hmm. over over there, and it's so funny because her um, her performance in season one of Buffy was almost campy. Mm-hmm. You know, it was just it was almost um, a little too much. You know, it was it was overdone. But here, Julie Benz is playing this so beautifully, and this is the Darla that I 
love. She's so fantastic. It's so creepy and yet so connected, you know? And I love the fact that, like, you know, Lila's there as a woman, right? Trying to be all... And it's it's so funny because it's like, it's like, oh, so this is how girls behave? Mm-hmm. We're nice to each other. And I say, <laughs> how are you? And I talk in this soothing voice because you know that she does not know how to like connect to people. Right. She knows how to compete with people and she knows how to like manipulate people, but she doesn't know how to connect with people. So it's really, it's kind of fun watching Lila, who is so incredibly capable everywhere, be completely clueless about how to handle this interaction. Oh, yeah, I love it. And mm-hmm. and I love Darla. I mean, no matter what room she's in, she mm-hmm. owns the room. Oh, she does. You know, and I love that she can still feel Angel, mm-hmm. you know, even though she's human now. Yeah. Yeah. Know, they're, but she's they're, connected. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, their bond is dark and twisted, but it is unbreakable. And yeah. I love that. And she says, he killed me. Mm-hmm. And then she laughs. Yeah, <laughs> she says, I remember now with a soul in his heart. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, God, this girl is about to wreak hell on. Yeah, LA. yeah. And I am so here for it. Oh, like, unhinged <laughs> Darla is yes. my favorite oh, flavor of God, Darla. Yes. <laughs> and I think it's pretty so- much the only flavor you ever get of Darla. She is yeah, always unhinged. <laughs> Um, she's pretty, pretty great. I love that. Um, so we've got a lot of Cordy and Wesley, you know, Mm kind of working together, which is really nice. I love, uh, Dennis (laughs) throwing the book at Wesley (laughs) and it just happens. He throws the book at Wesley. It just happens to be the book that has the demon that, um, that Cordelia is looking for. Um, and it's just, it's so sweet. And she's like, you know, and she's defending Dennis. And it's, you know, I just, I love it. You know, I mean, oh, well, yeah. like both Wesley and Andrew are like, we really need to find a new place to work. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't think it just happened to be the right book. I think Dennis gets bored during the day and he reads. Oh, so, yeah. Like, no, he knows. He knows yeah, all the stuff. I just happened being, to like, open to the right assistant. page. Like he threw it at Wesley and yeah. then, you know, it was the right book. It was, I mean, it's just, it's so fantastic. And, and, um, um, and it's just really fun seeing them, you know, at Cordy's and, you know, all working and doing this thing. And Cordy has changed, you know, mm-hmm. um, she has become, you know, so kind of caring and she's taking care of them. And it's this whole kind of like family vibe, which is really nice. And the bickering is stopped between Wesley and Cordelia, which I really appreciate because I never liked that. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's great. Yeah, I think it's really good. And of course, Wesley knows about the demon bar. Well, of course he does. <laughs> because I worked this out in my head, right? Yes. I was thinking about this. And you know how like you can go into one place of business and like at the counter, they'll have business cards for like mm-hmm. similar places or places mm-hmm. that you might also like. Mm-hmm. So I think in um, Madame Dorian's, <laughs> there are like... <laughs> <laughs> like the the music schedule, like open mic night and sure. like the the drink specials and stuff for yeah. Caritas. Sure. There. <laughs> well, you killed the whole world here. I love it. Yeah. I mean, it just makes total sense to me. <laughs> and Wesley describes it as um, a little outside the box. Right. You know, and it's like <laughs> demon karaoke. I mean, mm-hmm. come on. I know. It's, and it's, it's so close to camp. It's you know, so but it's good. But it's good. <laughs> so yeah. good. No, it's and, really nice. And you know, good music is universal. And 
But I love the idea of a sanctuary. I really love the idea of the sanctuary with happy hour. Yes. This is just so freaking delightful. Absolutely. I love it. (laughs) And then we've got Merle, right? Who is the the (laughs) Willie the Snitch of the angel verse. (laughs) (laughs) And I like how he's like, Prios are nasty. Not some big mosquito like you turns and dusts whenever you stake it. Like... (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> I love this. You know, the, the other demons looking down on the vampires. You know, yeah. <laughs> I absolutely adore mm-hmm. when Lorne first meets Angel mm-hmm. because you can tell, like Lorne has the pulse of that place yeah. down. He knows mm-hmm. when someone new is in there. Mm-hmm. He knows who he needs to watch. Yep, and he's very—I don't know, like territorial or just almost. Mm-hmm you know, kind of warning Angel in a way. Like, I just, mm-hmm. I love his approach. Yeah. And he just comes up to Angel and he's like, love the coat. It's all about I the coat. <laughs> like, oh, God. Oh, I yeah. love, love Lorne. And, yeah. you know, Wesley's trying to explain Lorne's ability. Mm-hmm. And he says, when you sing, you bear your soul. And he sees into it. Yeah. Like that is magic in this world building that fascinates me. No, I love that. And I love also this, you know, we've been talking about this a lot, like demons are supposed to be bad, but then they're not all bad. And then here we have this guy who has the ability to like read into your soul and like see things that are going on from singing. Right. And it's, it's so, and I mean, that's the thing, like it's, it's because the singing is meaningful and not just something that's used to be ridiculous. You know, demons singing karaoke feels mm-hmm. a little campy, feels a little ridiculous, but because it's so tied to Lorne and who he is, and we've built this world in which he can create a place that's a sanctuary, you know, yeah. I love all of that. I love it. And mm-hmm. I love how he's basically daring Angel to sing. Right. You know, <laughs> like he's letting Angel know who's in charge. And Angel yes. says, there are three things I don't do. Tan, date, and sing in public. <laughs> I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> I love I it. It's and so and when he cute. refuses and he leaves, you know, mm-hmm. Lorne is so unflappable about it yeah he's just like mm-hmm. see you around and then he looks at wesley and he says how fabulous would i look in that coat yes and it's just like just because it's your emergency does mm-hmm. not mean it's lauren's emergency right and if you want his help you're gonna follow his rules and i love that about him yeah no it's really great and i also like um we don't deal with uh, with like homosexuality or any kind of, you know, non heteronormative kind of sexuality very much. We don't really deal with it with Lauren, although he is coded, you know, as gay the way right. that he talks. You know, he's got this he's got this the, the fact that he's so into the clothes and he's so like emotionally connected, which unfortunately is a thing that is associated more with gay men than with straight men. Um, but I, I I like that we've got a space for it where it's not a big deal. It feels a little weird that we don't really address that at all, that we don't really like say one way or the other, because it does kind of lead to this erasure that can happen around them. But I kind of like that better than the whole, oh, we've got a gay demon. Let's make gay jokes. And nobody's doing that. Everybody's like, you know, he's just a guy, you know, and I kind of I like that. Yeah. And I'm going to have to keep an eye on it because I actually always read Lauren is bi. 
Oh, maybe. Well, I don't know. So maybe. Yeah, yeah. but I, you mm-hmm. know, I've, I have like in my notes of notes yes. to watch for that in future episodes. But I do. I, I just I like that his perspective on things is so outside of right the you know this typical framework of everything being good or evil mm-hmm. right and the idea of sanctuary or authenticity exists outside of that mm-hmm. and he embodies that so beautifully well he embodies the purest goodness i think mm-hmm. of anybody on the show right oh yeah Yes, I mean, Warren is absolutely, I mean, he was, he's like the queer eye guys all wrapped up into one, you know, <laughs> he's fantastic. <laughs> um, and he really does have this, this incredible, like super innate goodness to him, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I love Lorne. It's so good to see him. He makes my soul happy. It's just so yes. nice. <laughs> Me too. So I love that. Then we move into this, um, you know, this scene where he goes, he finds the demon he kills the demon right and we have this woman joe this pregnant woman you know who says i have one friend in this world and you killed him you know um the actress is fantastic the writing for this character is pretty good there are some areas where some of her stuff is a little questionable but whatever but i mean it's it's really really good and i love that we have like a woman of color and a central story she's smart she's strong she's important the actress is amazing um and every time i watch this episode i'm like why didn't they have joe as a recurring character i would have loved that she's so great yeah yeah Mm -hmm. that would have been really really great and to have angel like checking on the baby and have that kind of carry through yeah it could it could have been nice to kind of have her around a little bit i mean i don't know what role she would have played but the actress was so good and the writing was really good like the writing for these characters is really strong and i'm enjoying that a lot you know um but i love this moment when she looks at him and she says you know what she is to me my daughter not someone's holy mission you know, um, and you just connect with her humanity, with her vulnerability. They've got this character in a few seconds on screen and you see who she is, how tough she is. I just I love her. I love how she talked about she was like, look, before I was a girl working at Costco, right. I was working my way up. I just mm-hmm. want to be able to provide for this baby. Right. And now she's in the space of, you know, oh, my God, there's a supernatural trial after me and i just want this baby to be born right she's Um, some kind of joan of arc or something you know and she's like she doesn't even care about any of that she's just trying to protect her daughter Mm -hmm. and it's it's so nice yeah and then i love this this mirror of angel not being the only redeemed demon yeah you know when they figure out that the the demon he killed was actually Mm -hmm. a protector and wesley was like well how are we supposed to know like how could we believe that some demon could change overnight become a hero warrior (laughs) protector of the innocent oh yeah we have one of those right here like i really like i really liked that Exactly. No, I think it's it's really great. And um, and it's it's just, it's a nice kind of open for the new season, you know, because mm-hmm. here we have he kills a, a demon that is like him, right? right. You know, right. that is, is uh, we don't know the demon's story, but he became a champion protecting the innocent. I mean, that's a thing like, yeah. and this is a demon that has been, you know, in the books, right? Like he's a killer. I mean, he's a terrible, bad demon, you know? Um, but, uh, but it, so it was kind of nice to sort of see that reflection, 
you know, because Angel, n- you know, not just killed a good guy, but killed somebody like him, somebody right. who had probably done a lot of bad things and was probably looking for redemption, you know? Yeah. So I thought that was pretty cool. Um, I also like Gun, of course. Oh, God, yes. <laughs> Gun coming out of the shadows like a goddamn superhero. You know, um, I love the white guy presuming that he's they're coming to steal his car. They end up <laughs> saving him and sending him away, you know. And I love, too, when Angel steps out of the shadows after that. And he goes, look at you, dog. You haven't aged a bit. <laughs> Gun is so I fantastic. love him. I absolutely love him. And so everything with Gunn was great. I love that he instantly found the vent. He instantly figured that out. He's mm-hmm. got so much capability. He's so smart, you know. Um, so and capability, of course, is my favorite character trait of any. Like you want me to love somebody, make them capable. Absolutely. I love that. Um, and I also love they go into the um, to the demons. I don't know what you would call it. Lair, I guess. Uh-huh. I don't know. Angel goes straight to the books and Gun goes straight to the weapons. This yep. man is a warrior, you know, and I love that so much because Angel is a champion and he fights, but that's not his like primary thing. You know, his primary thing is to go to understanding, you know, right. to go to information, to get the information. And Gun goes straight for the um, straight for the, the weapons. He yes. is the kick ass. He is the guy, you know, yeah. and I, I just I kind of loved seeing them both go that way. And then toward the end, he goes, what, you're going to hang around here and soak up the guilt? And I'm like, did not take him long to get Angel's number, did <laughs> yeah, it? <laughs> absolutely. Well, and I love again, because they are so similar. And they mm-hmm. are both champions. Yeah. But given a problem to solve, Angel goes directly in search of meaning and Gun mm-hmm. goes directly in search of battle. Yes, I know. And, and I, I love it. I love that about them. Yes, I know. It's so great. And, and when we see Gun stake that vamp, mm-hmm. he has this move that's almost like a martial arts punch. Yep. Mm-hmm. It's so beautifully, chore- you know, choreographed. Um, and then he looks over at the guy he saved and he's like, you should probably go home now. <laughs> and, <laughs> and when when Angel's telling him what's going on mm-hmm. and Gun falls into step beside him and Gun says, I'm getting the sense you want to do this now. Like, <laughs> he's just like he's so great about picking up immediately yes. on what people mm-hmm. need and mm-hmm. understanding the urgency without like you don't have to explain everything to gun yeah he just gets it mm-hmm. you know and, and when they're in the demon lair and angel's telling him about you know this demon champion mm-hmm. gun says well did you find the scumbag that killed him and Angel says, I'm the scumbag that killed him. <laughs> and it was like such a great line. I know. You know, but, I know. It, but it didn't slow Gun down for a second. You know, I know. Because he's like, and okay. it didn't it didn't stop Angel either. Like right. Angel was like, you know, he's just like, Yeah, I'm the scumbag. Like that's <laughs> it's so great. I'm the scumbag that killed him. You know, but I mean the thing is, like, instead of you know hesitating or trying to make excuses or being like well you know i didn't know he was like mm-hmm. he just he just comes right out he's like i'm the scumbag i'm like he doesn't defend himself he doesn't get defensive like angel is such a a beautiful character he's such a great person you know like i love the fact that he's he's not typically insecure you know he he accepts when he's done things wrong he doesn't you know he, he's i just i love the confidence that it takes to be like yeah fuck that up you know yeah. <laughs> and just you know and just completely 
uh, embrace it. And I think it's just, it's absolutely fantastic. And I love too, you know, after Gunn leaves, Angel looks around and he finds the the shrine with the candle, the Buddha shrine, the candle went out and he relights the candle for him. Yeah. And it's such a, a like a little subtle moment, but it, it so explains exactly who Angel is. He is always for the meaning he's always there for the meaning mm-hmm. you know um for what everything means and and that i thought was such a nice thing for him to do and it, it expresses his character so incredibly well yeah it really does because it's paying really tribute great. yeah you know because he can't go back and change anything mm-hmm. but he can honor the spirit of that champion mm-hmm. and and i just thought that was beautiful yeah, no, I think it's really great. I love when he goes back and Cordelia says, it's going to take a long time for you to work your way out and I'll be with you until you do, you know? Um, that dedication, you know, and that faithfulness, you know, she's like, I'm going to have a day job. I'm going to be like famous, you know, <laughs> right. but I'll, I'll still be here for you. <laughs> And I thought that was really nice, too. I like Cordelia a lot. You know, we've seen her grow quite a bit. She had that that really difficult experience at the end of season one. And she's just here. You know, she's here to do the work. And I think it's really cool. And then, of course, we move into Angel needing information, needing meaning. Right. So he actually goes and sings just terribly for Lauren. And Cordelia (laughs) says, that man will do anything to save a life. And I thought it was really sweet when he asked why Mandy and tell me the truth because I'm going to know anyway. And he goes, well, I kind of think it's pretty. And then Lauren says, and it is, you great big sap. Yeah. I love Lauren when Angel's done singing and he's like, why don't we just call him Angel, the vampire with soul. I know. <laughs> you know, Mr. Tall, Dark and Rockin'. Like, I just, God. And when they're they're talking about the song, yeah. then Lauren says, there's not a destroyer of worlds can argue with Manilow. I know. <laughs> but that choice of words is also significant. Mm-hmm. And so, like, I just, I love some of the future story thread that Lauren is weaving. Yeah. Because I don't know that he even gets credit for that retrospectively mm-hmm. later. Yeah. And it's it's beautifully done. And it's something you can see when you go back. Mm-hmm. And I love seeing that woven through a story. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think it's really great. Um, I also love, and this is weird too, the medieval knight on a horse in the oh, middle yeah. of Los Angeles. <laughs> No, it's patently ridiculous, but I freaking loved it. <laughs> no, it to me it calls back to yeah. um, back to when we first met Gunn. You know, you mm-hmm. have the medieval and the urban, and yeah. because you're bringing the idea of champion into mm-hmm. a modern setting. Yeah, and I mm-hmm. I love it. I think it's fantastic. I thought it was really great, and Angel jousting. <laughs> I mean. Oh, my God. Like, this is something that I don't know how they made that work. If somebody if I had been in the writer's room when they're talking about this, I've would been like, that is ridiculous. That is going to be embarrassing. People are going to make fun. of. But it was I thought it was really, really good when it comes in. I moved to appeal that ruling. (laughs) It's just so great. You know, like, I love that whole thing. And I mean, the the stupid, you know, tribunal and the three demons popping up out of nowhere and doing this. I mean, it's all is ridiculous and stupid. And yet it works perfectly for me. And I don't know why. (laughs) (laughs) 
it works for me with the exception of one thing that we'll get to yeah. in a second. But yeah. <laughs> I do I do like it because again we have this bleeding over of worlds, right? So, right. Because mm-hmm. we're through the we're through the looking glass. Things mm-hmm. are different, and I like how hard they hit that note. Yeah. In mm-hmm. this episode. No, I think it's really good. And so now we have this kid, right, who is going to be safe and protected until she comes of age, right? And that's right about now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this kid is going to be 18 right about now. So um, so I'm like, oh, my God, what a great story. This Joan of Arc, this kid who Angel saved, yeah. you know, like, I don't know. I'm, and so now I'm really interested in finding out what happens to that kid and what her purpose is and, mm-hmm. you know, who she becomes. Is she a slayer? Who the hell knows? Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> there's so, yes, there's so much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They could have done with that. It, it's yeah. pretty cool. Yeah. So I like this whole thing about saving one soul at a time. And then he goes to visit Faith. Yes. And it's so nice. I love that he's connecting with her, you know, that they're sharing their stories of of trying to find redemption. They can understand each other in a way that that nobody else can understand either of them. Mm -hmm. And uh, and I like this, you know, think we might make it. We might. You know, I mean, that's really nice. (laughs) She's talking about the food. She goes, it's a little one note eating the same thing every day. And he goes, huh, I wonder what that's like. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I absolutely love Angel visiting Faith in prison. And I wish that we saw more of that. And she's she's telling him, you know, about how hard things are. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, this girl was trying to prove herself by attacking Faith. And Faith really wanted to kill her and had to hold herself back and she took a mm-hmm. beating from the guards in the process yeah. and he looks at her and he says I had to sing Barry Manilow <laughs> in public <laughs> Faith is like and here I am talking about my petty little problems and I just I love I know. the dynamic between the two of them I know it's so great and oh my god the outtakes of David Boreanaz <laughs> David Boreanaz and this is all like not Angel this is David Boreanaz just yes. you know doing the whole thing and he, he, he's so adorable he he's is. so sweet he's so funny it's just so incredibly cute I love those outtakes we don't get outtakes very often I think maybe this is it you know <laughs> yeah I think this but it was the dancing so- Great. Oh, the dancing. Oh, my it, God. I love the dancing. I love um, that yeah. Angel is as bad at karaoke as I am. Right. <laughs> it so makes me cute. happy. Well, that's the whole point. Like, I think you should be bad at karaoke. You know, well, I think when people go to karaoke and really, like, sing it and do a great job, it's like, well, go be a singer then. But everybody <laughs> else here. In that everybody case, else is here to get drunk and sing. I'm fucking fantastic at karaoke. You are fantastic at karaoke. <laughs> You're doing karaoke the way God intended. <laughs> Terribly and drunk. And that's how it's meant to be. If you're a good singer doing karaoke, you're just showing off. This is the chance for the talentless to get up there and have a good goddamn time. Okay, so, this yeah. is my favorite definition of karaoke ever. <laughs> you should be bad and you should be drunk. You should be bad and you should be drunk and you should be having a good goddamn time. You know, I think that's that's the way that karaoke was meant to be. And so that's how it should be done. That's just my personal feeling on it. But anyway, so now we've gone through our moments of perfect happiness. Kelly Jones, what would you stake in this thing? Okay, so Angel is, you know, trying to track down this demon who he thinks Mm -hmm. is a bad guy, right? Yes. He finds Mm -hmm. the demon with the pregnant woman Mm -hmm. who, the demon's not hurting her. Right. Angel goes into attack mode. 
Joe stands on the sidelines and watches them fight. Yes. And does not say, hey, don't hurt him. He's a good guy. He's my protector. Yes. She waits until after Angel kills him mm-hmm. to say, what have you done? He was my only friend in the world. Mm-hmm. What the fuck? Yeah. There's a lot. Like, Joe... um, you know, Joe not yelling and saying, hey, he's he's good or whatever. But I mean, at the time, Joe may have thought the angel was bad. So she may not have realized that he was there to protect her. I don't know. But I mean, there's also like um, Joe is she's in need of a champion. Yeah. Angel's there. And she keeps talking like she's just going to leave. He gives her an address to go to to be safe. And she doesn't go. Right. right. And like. You know, you need somebody to be your champion. This guy is stepping up and obviously he can handle himself. He killed your other champion, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, I mean, it doesn't make sense to me that in her condition, the situation that she's in, she's pregnant, she's got a baby to protect. I mean, I can see her like resentfully, you know, being like, I'm still pissed at you for killing my champion, you know, (laughs) but, but, you know, any port in the storm, man, you know, you got to like do something, you know, so, um, so yeah, I didn't really understand (laughs) that. So inside Chipper's joke. Yes. Any port in the storm is something we say a lot. And anyone who knows me knows if you're texting with me, I am going to make typos constantly. (laughs) And so I sent that in a message to Noelle about mm-hmm. something we were talking about. But I, I mistyped it to any poet in a storm. Oh. I know, right? So, like, that is, that is our new version. It's any poet in a storm. <laughs> any poet any in a storm. Any poet in a storm. Absolutely. <laughs> all right. So all that stuff with Joe just felt weird and not consistent for the character as much as I like the character and everything else it didn't make sense for her to reject Angel because he was all she had mm-hmm. um, I also really kind of hated um, the way that you know she goes into the tribunal right she says I ask for asylum and they say asylum is not ours to give except that's exactly what you do Like, you have this whole system so that people can get asylum. I mean, granted, it's, like, based on this idea that the champions fight and then whoever wins, you know, is so it's not really about justice. But also, a pregnant woman of color asking a bunch of, and let's face it, they're all white, they're demons, but they're white demons, you know, Um, asking for asylum from a bunch of evil white men and having the men say, basically, fuck off, you die. Um, Given our current situation now, that hurt. I watched that and I was like, oh, God, it's it's too close. It is too too close. close. And it was so patriarchal um, Mm -hmm. because that fucking trial, like, first of all, how did Joe get subjected to that in the first place? (laughs) She didn't do anything wrong. Right. Someone put a claim on her. Right. That she had no say in. um, Yeah. And there was no judgment there in terms of justice or right or wrong it was just Mm -hmm. simply okay this person with power is putting a claim over a woman and her womb by the way and we're fine with that Mm -hmm. you know and then when when angel wins or you know they think the other guy has won they say she and all her issue are yours Mm -hmm. because she's fucking property to be awarded as they see fit and i was like what the holy fuck but i i did like 
the emphasis of the title of the episode on judgment, because Mm -hmm. what we're seeing here is a tribunal of power operating absolutely with no sense of justice. Power and no justice. Exactly. And so Mm -hmm. it's might, you know, Mm -hmm. over right and strength over goodness. Salvation Mm -hmm. or damnation is determined by which champion kills the other. Yeah. So, Mm -hmm. you know, death is actually going to determine the fate of the person that's been marked by this trial. And the goodness or evil of that doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, it's I mean, the thing is that it's it's not inaccurate. (laughs) It's not inaccurate to a lot of things that we're seeing now in 2018. And I mean, I guess the reason why I want to stake it is because it it reflects back the the injustices and just the terrible, terrible things that people do to each other that that we see all the time. And it just reflected it so accurately. Oh, yeah, (laughs) that I was I was just disturbed by the whole thing. And it pissed me off. And I wanted it to be better in the fictional world than it is here. And it's really not. You know, it's really not. And and it's in 2018. If you're Mm -hmm. like me, and you're also watching The Handmaid's Tale. Oh, no, I won't watch it. Shit has gotten so real. And so scary that oh, like God. I see that I see that underlying thought mm-hmm. now mm-hmm. in so many other stories and I saw it here. Yeah. And it is terrifying. It really is. It really is. And it's very distressing. So I'm gonna go back and stake something a little bit lighter because I just can't deal with that right now. Okay. Um <laughs> when Wesley and Cordelia meet Gunn, right? And they have this whole awkward you know, ridiculous vaudeville thing, you know, I saw you in bed. And then, you know, I saw both of you in bed and just this whole thing. And we go into this like, one two punch of mild slut shaming on Cordelia and then gay panic for Wesley and just stop. Just mm-hmm. stop. It's not funny. And I don't, he said gun. Does he mean he has a gun? No, his name is gun. It's a street tag and all this kind of like, just stop. Just stop yeah. all of it. Just introduce yourselves like human beings and stop it. It was so painful. It was so painful, but gun handled it so beautifully. Oh, gun was awesome. Gun was yeah. awesome. But Cordy and Wes meeting gun reminded mm-hmm. me of Lila meeting Darla. Oh, yeah, exactly. No idea. No idea. <laughs> Yeah. how to conduct themselves no idea how to relate and and i just love seeing like i love seeing darla's power in that setting mm-hmm. and i love seeing mm-hmm. gun's power in that setting yeah mm-hmm. yeah no it's really it's really nice um so did you have anything else that you wanted to stake uh yeah because yeah. okay like a little bit of teasing is mm-hmm. great a little bit of foreplay in a story <laughs> i'm all for it but don't leave me hanging because you can't always get what you want but sometimes you get what you need and i need to know what the hell is going on with darla and we get this great scene with darla and Lindsay and lila and then this whole other storyline happens and And we we don't go don't go back to darla Mm -hmm. like yeah nobody puts darla in a corner nobody Nobody puts puts baby in a corner like what right right yeah no that is i mean darla is going to be kind of relegated to vignette status for a little while but yeah i mean we open with darla we should have a little something with darla and maybe that there's something with darla that reflects on the greater story here but no like if they had ended because you get the the hyperion right Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and that's going to come into play in the next episode yeah if we had had a second of darla on the steps 
of that hotel mm-hmm. right yeah. after Angel left. Yeah. Oh my fucking god. <laughs> it would have been perfect. Yeah, it would have been great. But but we didn't get it. So yeah. I guess we're just going to move into research mode. What are your questions and deep thoughts about okay, this episode? My first question, I think, is going to be critically important to all yeah. Shippers listeners. <laughs> Lonnie Dianrich, what is your go-to karaoke song? <laughs> wow, my go-to karaoke song. I have to say, it's usually Only the Good Die Young by Billy Joel. Oh, excellent choice. <laughs> <laughs> what about you? I'd rather laugh with the sinners and cry with the saints. Oh, Very yeah. good, Lonnie. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Mine is Janis Joplin, Mercedes Benz. Oh, yes. No, that's a good one. Because I can remember every <laughs> word, no matter how drunk I am. And you sing it so great with that Southern accent. <laughs> I don't sing anything great. <laughs> but I love that song. <laughs> And the more whiskey I have in me, the better I can sing it. So I will keep that in mind. All right. Um, all right. So for me, we have this like, quote unquote, nasty Prio demon who is also a champion, mm-hmm. you know, and it seems like that's kind of an important detail, right? And Cordelia can usually read the room in her visions. Like she doesn't just see things. She smells things. She feels things. She reads minds. You know, she knows exactly what's going on. So if the powers that be sent Angel to kill this thing, with they didn't tell Cordelia the important information that this is a good guy, right? right. So that means that they deliberately withheld that information to send Angel to kill it. So whose side are the powers on anyway? I mean, these are, this is not a force for good, right? I mean, we should be having serious questions about that. Well, I think we have serious questions about it. What I think we have here is a force on the side of good in an abstract way Mm -hmm. that has no care for mercy on an individual level. Mm -hmm. So it's the greater good and the hell with individual casualties. But how is killing this champion okay. for the greater good? So, Unless maybe the champion was going to yes, lose. Yes, that's my interpretation. Is that okay. they knew, okay. because Angel defeated him, right? Yeah. So yeah. I think they knew that this champion was going to lose. Mm-hmm. And they wanted this baby protected. And right. so instead of like replacing him or sending a clear message that says, hey, set this one out. Angel, you're in. Like <laughs> tapping, right. you know, tapping out your, your team. Right. Why couldn't he just go to him and be like, look, powers of B sent me a message. Exactly. You're not going to win this thing. I got to take be your over. champion. You know, I got to take over. Right. You go get, here's a Starbucks card. Exactly. Go relax. Go take a break. I've got another <laughs> exactly. case back at the office. You can handle. Did he have to die? Did he have to die? But I think that's because our powers mm-hmm. that be, while they may be working toward an end game that is not evil. They don't do it in the spirit of goodness on an individual scale. Right. To me, it feels like it feels to me like the powers that be are not good, but they're just about defeating evil. It's just about these two warring sides. And again, you know, we've got analogs for this in our regular life now, but that yeah. it's not about what you believe in or what you stand for. It's just about beating the other guy. So right. to me, that's how I read the powers, that yes. that they are not good, but they are opposite to the the evildoers, yes. you know, the real evildoers. And so right. they're, one they're team, kind of on your side. Yeah, one team right. wants to bring about the apocalypse and in the world. Mm-hmm. The other team wants to stop it. 
Right. But they don't necessarily want to stop it because of any sense of benevolence. Or yeah. love it's kind of how humanity. I feel about most of the old white Democrats that need to be yes. voted out because you, you basically have team evil and team lesser yes. of evils and team opposite evil yes. team fighting evil. <laughs> right. Right. You know, so it's like I'm on that side because I'm stuck with you. You're what I get. Exactly. You know? <laughs> and so I think they just saw, mm-hmm. OK, this champion can't take it. Let's take him right. out and put Angel in and the hell right. with, you know, the fact that we're actually killing a good person. Right. Because that doesn't matter. Um, Mm -hmm. But I also wondered if there is some kind of period of adjustment for Cordy. This is her first vision post the vision overload. That's the first one we've seen, right? Right. Mm -hmm. It's the first one we've Mm -hmm. seen. And so maybe there's some nuance to that, you Mm -hmm. know, because maybe like the the world has changed now. Yes. And so maybe Mm -hmm. the visions have changed in a way that she hasn't quite figured out as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, like normally she sees the vision, she gets the address, they go. Mm-hmm. And this one required a little more thinking. So, mm-hmm. you know, when she looked back on it, she said, I didn't sense fear from him. So right. like she's getting to a level where now they need to analyze these visions before they act. Right. And that's new and different. But I, I just saw it simply as the powers were like, this guy can't take it. Angel's got to take over. Go kill him, Angel. Mm-hmm. Um, right which is a shitty thing to do but it's it's the means justifying the end Mm -hmm. which is not really good no no it's really not. which is my whole problem with utilitarian philosophy in the first place (laughs) yes yes so that's a whole other discussion Yes. That may be another podcast, like maybe the Lost podcast, where we'll be talking about philosophy. I have been thinking about Lost so much. (laughs) Yes. We're just saying, after Still Dead, there may be Still Lost. Everybody, you know, follow Chipperish. It's such a great title, too. I know. I know. It'll be really fun. It'll be really fun. All right. So did you have any other questions? Any other deep thoughts? Yes, of course I did. Of um, course. So <laughs> when Angel goes back to confront Merle about why they want to kill, you know, Joe and her baby, um, Merle says the dark ones want her out of the picture. Mm-hmm. Well, who the hell are the dark ones? Like, I mean, I guess I thought that was the senior partners. It, well, then why not call them the senior? Like, I, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, we're getting yeah. these multiple players on the mm-hmm. edges of the storyscape. And yeah. we don't really know who they are. Yeah, and specificity is your friend. Yes, Merle. I mean, define your <laughs> fucking terms. Tell me who the dark ones are. So I just, because yeah. like, my head went to Once Upon a Time and Rumpelstiltskin, and I'm like, oh my God. Now, if I could bring the dark ones into Angel, mm-hmm. that would be fucking amazing. And now yeah. I want that show, but mm-hmm. I don't think that's what he meant. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> so but then... The, we have faith when she's talking to Angel. She said the road mm-hmm. to redemption is a rocky path. Well, mm-hmm. a couple episodes ago, we have Lindsay saying, and the righteous shall walk a thorny path. Right. So we're getting this idea of, of a path and mm-hmm. it being, you know, blocked or difficult or, or thorny or mm-hmm. rocky. And like, I like that as a theme mm-hmm. and I want to see where they go with it. But the yeah. the biggest research question I have was about Keratos. Okay. Mm-hmm. So when Lauren first meets Angel, he says, welcome to Caritas. You know what that means. Mm-hmm. And he asks it in a way that tells, he, he already knows the answer. Like he, yeah. he knows that mm-hmm. Angel knows. Mm-hmm. Um, and Angel says it's Latin for mercy. And Lauren is like, oh, smart and cute. <laughs> <laughs> but 
Caritas is not actually Latin for mercy. Oh. It's Latin for loving kindness, specifically mm. charity. And Aww. specifically from a Christian love of humankind. But Simone Weil, a French philosopher and mystic, defined it as supernatural divine love. And some Mm -hmm. of the saints and popes have defined this kind of charity as altruistic love expressed through friendship. It's the kind of charity that glorifies the nature of God. Mm -hmm. And it's one of the three theological virtues, faith, hope, and love, Mm -hmm. which we get in 1 Corinthians 13. Paul says, so faith, hope, love remain these three, but the greatest of these is love. Mm-hmm. And that is what Caritas really means. Oh. And so I was fascinated by this, again, religious placement in this story. But even when they call it out specifically and define their terms, they define it mm-hmm. in a secular way when it's actually a theological word. Right. Mm-hmm. You know. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And at the same time, we're calling Lorne Lorne because we know his mm-hmm. name, but we don't right. actually learn his name in the show. That's right. For a long mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. And initially, he's known as the host. Right. Which reminds me of the heavenly hosts. Mm-hmm. Because what is the meaning of that name? Like, I know he's the host of the club. Right. But they're using that as a title. You know, they're right. using that as a name. And on a show where everything has meaning, that name has mm-hmm. to have meaning. Well, you know, you think that it does, but they're so strange with the way that they borrow all of this, you know, this deeply religious stuff, and it doesn't seem like they understand it, mm-hmm. or or even that they're using it deliberately. And the thing is that, like, I understand that. I have stuff in my books that when I wrote it, I didn't know. What I was like, I look back on it now with an understanding of the things that I was wrestling with then that I wasn't consciously aware of. And I see what I was doing. Mm -hmm. Right. So to me, it feels like there is a deep grappling with religion that is kind of at the heart of this thing. But nobody, and I mean, it's a lot of writers, it's not just one. Right. Right. But it does feel like you know, like there is a, there's a tension there, you know, because we keep going. I mean, for God's sake, the guy's name is Angel, like Angel, Faith, you know, all of these things that we keep bringing in that are, that have deep religious significance. And yet we, we keep calling to these things while at the same time, almost actively stripping them of their greater context. Right. And so it feels it feels so strange to me and it feels deeply meaningful, but I am not convinced that it was at all intentional on the part of the writers. No, I agree I'm with you. not convinced about that. But I find it so interesting because you keep seeing this stuff. And again, it's the death of the author, right? Mm-hmm. You know, whether the author intended it at the time of the writing does not matter. If you see it there, it's there, you know? So all of this stuff is there. Right. It's all kind of clumsily handled, but yet it feels like a reaching towards something. It does. And well, and you have the idea of sanctuary, which Mm -hmm. is typically, you know, hallowed ground. Yeah. Which has a spiritual connotation to it. Well, churches have always been sanctuaries. Right. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I just I don't know. I love the whole thing. Um, Yeah. I just think it's fantastic. But tons of questions. No answers. (laughs) Kind of my favorite space. <laughs> right. 
All right. So you're going to give us one to brood on? I am. So Judgment Mark Season 2 is a different kind of story. We open in a whole new space with a singing demon and then smash through a looking glass at the gym. Angel mm-hmm. is on a story path to a sort of wonderland and Darla's back and the office is gone and nothing is the same. And Judgment put Angel in the role of both executioner and champion. He unwillingly killed a force for good, but then saved a woman and her baby from the forces of darkness. We get more of Gun and Fate, and we meet Lorne and visit Caritas. Angel sings Barry Manilow and jousts like a knight in shining armor or shining black leather trench coat. And so the whole <laughs> landscape has changed after the season one finale. Mm-hmm. Team Angel is looking for a home. Lorne is the new oracle. And we see even more of the ambiguity between good and evil in the world. So all in all, it is an episode damn well worth watching. Yeah, it is. It's really, really good. And now we're going to move into another fantastic episode. Are you now or have you ever been? In Are You Now or Have You Ever Been, Angel has Wesley and Cordelia investigating the history of an abandoned old Hollywood hotel, the Hyperion. As they discover a dark history of murders and suicides before the place was eventually shut down, Angel remembers living there in the 50s where we meet Judy, a woman who was shunned for her race in Kansas and stole a bunch of money from a bank in panic before fleeing for Los Angeles. As a private investigator comes after her, Angel helps her despite his general standoffishness with the rest of the increasingly paranoid hotel guests who are being goaded into hate and fear by a demon that feeds off their darkness. When Judy turns the mob on Angel and they hang him in the lobby, the demon offers Angel a deal. Restore their faith in people first to make them an even juicier meal for the demon. Angel declines the deal, but he also leaves the demon to feed on the people who attacked him. In the present day, Angel finally decides to take down the demon and rescues a much older Judy, who has been feeding the demon with her guilt and shame for 50 years. Angel forgives Judy, and she dies in peace. And Angel decides that the Hyperion will be the new headquarters for Angel Investigations. Are You Now or Have You Ever Been aired on October 3rd, 2000. It was directed by David Smell, who also directed season one's Expecting, and written by Tim Minear, who wrote 12 episodes in the first four seasons of Angel. All right. So Are You Now or Have You Ever Been is kind of a weird episode in that whenever I remember it, I'm always like, eh. And then when I watch it, it's so good. Yep. Me and too. I think, like, I like it more every time I watch it. Me I don't too. even think I had much of anything to stake in this. It was mostly just moments of perfect happiness. First of which is the Hyperion is here. Yes. And again, not to be spoilery. I know we're trying not to spoil in this in this show. But the Hyperion, like Lorne, like Gunn, is something that is going to be a permanent fixture in Angel. And it's so nice to see it because I associate, like, season one of Angel's a little weird. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of finding its feet. We're not really sure. We start out with Doyle, then we switch to Wesley, then we've got all this kind of stuff moving around, and we don't really settle into ourselves until the end of season one. And so season two, the Hyperion, you know, 
know, we get it in the second episode of the season and we're in it, you know, for most of the rest of the run of the show. And it is so highly associated for me with what Angel is. So when we see it, I get that same feeling I get with Lauren. I'm like, oh, it's the Hyperion, Mm -hmm. you know. So that was really fun. I love that we have two new spaces in this world. Yeah. We have Caritas and we have the Hyperion. Mm -hmm. And the Hyperion is connected back right to the first episode that we just watched. Mm -hmm. So maybe even in addition to saving Joe, Angel was sent to that tribunal in order to find the Hyperion Yeah, because he has Mm -hmm. a personal connection to that hotel. And with the prophecy in play now, all Mm -hmm. of the story stakes are becoming more personal. And I love that. Yeah, no, I think that's really, really great. Also, I like that Angel likes Opaz. <laughs> I'm Opaz. <laughs> and then I was like, oh, wait. <laughs> Angel would find you particularly delicious. I think he just might. Um, I love Cordelia putting cinnamon in Angel's blood. <laughs> and then there's this quick moment where she smells the blood. She's like, ah, you know. Yeah, she's like, I'm trying something new. I know. I know. It's so great. But one of the things I love absolutely the most about this episode is the way we dive into the past. Now, ordinarily, you will find me complaining about flashbacks, as I have a million times, because usually flashbacks are not used particularly well. But in this episode, for the writers out there who are confused about when are flashbacks okay and when are they not, they're okay and lost. They're bad almost everywhere else. Yes. And the reason (laughs) is this this episode handles it the way that lost handled it which is we are telling two stories that are reflecting on each other but each time space has its own story happening that's when flashbacks are good Mm -hmm. that's when they work um when they don't work is when it's just we want somebody to have information about what happened in the past and so we do a big flashback info dump so that we can tell everybody what happened in the past that's when they're not good it's a cheap you know literary device and i generally generally don't recommend it. But this is an absolute example of how narratively that can work really, really well. Um, so I love this, this whole thing. We've got the modern day, you know, reflecting back on the past. We've got Angel, you know, putting Wesley and Cordelia into researching this hotel, trying to find information. I love this thing when we open where we've got the bellhop who's afraid. It's like the guy, you know, if you look in his eyes, he's dead. There's nothing there. Right? right, And it ends up being Angel. We expect it to be a demon, but it's actually Angel that he's afraid of. And then we have Angel, right, pre-champion mode, mm-hmm. right? So this is Angel, you know, after he's gotten his soul, he still doesn't really have his purpose. He doesn't have meaning in his life. He's just floating in this space. He wants to avoid people. He doesn't want to be around people. You know, um, he doesn't want to help Judy. You know, when she comes to him, it's a completely different angel without purpose. And you see what that purpose does for him, you know, how it completes him. Like at this point, he's just somebody who's done a lot of bad things and is trying to avoid other people. Right. You know, Um, so I really love that whole thing. And then he does help Judy. 
you know, because the guy coming after her is such a jerk. Um, and it's, it's nice because that sort of is the beginning of his path into redemption. Yes. Or into the idea that redemption is even a possibility. I don't think it even occurred to him that he could help the helpless, that this could be a thing, right? Right. You know? And then we have this demon, you know, working on people's fear and paranoia again reflecting today's society where we're back in the days of McCarthy, the are you now or have you ever been paranoia about the the communist scare, blacklisting in Hollywood, all of these really terrible things that were going on, not too different from how we are now, mm. you know? Um, so we have the Thessalac, the paranoia demon, whispers to its victims, feeds on their innate insecurities, gets them to behave terribly. You know, we have this quote, fear makes people do stupid things, mm -hmm. you know? We've got so much of this stuff. And then there's this moment where Judy says, there's such a thing as forgiveness, right? And we're revisiting that again, yep. right? Angel, what do you want? Forgiveness. That there's this idea that he can be given forgiveness, that it is even possible for him to have forgiveness, to become human, to have that prophecy, you know, fulfilled, to fill his destiny and be able to just live. You know, all of this stuff. And it lines up with just this one little moment from her. Right. Um, and then he helps her and she turns on him and they hang him, you know. Um, and then that demon, you know, talking to Angel and he's like, God, I love people. Don't you? They feed me their worst. And I kind of serve it right back at them. And the fear and the prejudice turns to certainty and hate. And I take another bite and mm, what a beautiful, beautiful dance. Right. Yeah. And if that isn't exactly what's happening in our society today, then I don't even know. This Thessalac demon is fat. He's <laughs> living <laughs> fat on the hog. And somebody needs to electrocute him, right? Um, so we have that moment. And then Angel Angel refuses the deal, right? Where he's like, you make them juicy for me, you know, and all this kind of stuff. And Angel's like, no, but take them. Right. Take them all. I don't care. You know, and he just walks away and leaves them. Which, I mean, granted, all these people just just hanged him and thought that, you know, thought that they'd killed him. They didn't know he was a vampire. Right. So they thought he was dead, you know. Um and then, you know, we come into this modern moment, like the moment now, he kills the demon, he goes up to Judy, you know, she's tired, she's been there, this demon has been feeding off of her for 50 years, and he puts her in bed, and she says, can you forgive me? And he says, of course. Right. And then she's able to die in peace. And it is actually such a hopeful story. You know, it is a story about the hope of that forgiveness. And then when Angel comes down and says, this is going to be our new headquarters, right? And Wesley says, this is a place of evil. And he goes, not anymore. And forgiveness just cleansed it. Mm -hmm. And I, I love all of that. I thought that was so powerful and so good. I really loved it. So what are your moments of perfect happiness in this episode? So a lot like you, I did not remember this episode fondly. Yeah. And it's not one that I rewatch often. But when I watched it this time, I was like, oh, God, this is like the metaphor for what the whole show is about. Yes. Because if you say this is a place of evil, not anymore, mm -hmm. you're really talking right. about Angel. 
Yeah. You know, in a very yeah. real way. Yeah. But this And that there's hope. Yes. There's hope. There is hope. That the evil can be cleansed, that you can be forgiven. But you know, it, I mean, oh god. It leaves me with such a feeling of sorrow. Um, even though there is this hope and forgiveness at the end, the the cost of that is so uh-huh. high. Mm-hmm. And it just moves me, but it, it moves me in a painful way. Um, but right. it's still beautiful storytelling and there's poetry mm-hmm. in it. And so I, I really got a lot more out of watching it this time than I thought I was going to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I love the threaded themes. So we get, yes. you know, we have mm-hmm. forgiveness. We have the heebie-jeebies. Which yes. is, it's, it's a funny word, but yes. it's, it's actually, you know, a, an instinctive sense mm-hmm. that we carry over from childhood. And I, and I think yeah. it's very real. And when you see the heebie-jeebies amplified and crowdsourced, mm-hmm. you end up mm-hmm. with a bunch of people in a hotel hanging a guy. Right. Because that's how fear and paranoia work. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also loved emptiness as a threaded yeah. theme. You know, in mm-hmm. the very beginning, Angel says 68 rooms 68 vacancies these Mm -hmm. are all empty places and angel without a soul is an empty place right Mm -hmm. um and and when the bellhop was talking about angel he said ever looked in his eyes there's nothing there Mm -hmm. there's an emptiness there and i and i really loved how that was carried all the way through you know Mm -hmm. even to the end when you know he kills that demon and, and judy's dead so the place has been cleansed but it is still empty and it's yeah. not until Angel brings the team there that it's mm-hmm. renewed. And yep. I love that. Um, mm-hmm. And the, the shallow side of my heart. Yes. <laughs> Angel in 1950s clothing. Oh, that's nice, isn't it? And a sleeveless tank with those shoulders. Oh, yeah. Girl. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm just, you know, I am yeah. appreciating beauty in all of its forms. But David Boreanaz's right. acting skills shine in this episode. Yeah. And I th- he's good. He's so good. And mm-hmm. I thought it was really interesting. Um, one of my favorite aspects of season two and, and just of Angel as a character in the show in mm-hmm. general is this pendulum swing between Angel and Angelus. Right. Yes. This is mm-hmm. not a Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde. This is not Bruce Banner and the Incredible Hulk. Mm-hmm. Right. This is this is a this is a pendulum. It's not an A B. It's, it's a not. spectrum. Right. It yeah. is a spectrum. Mm-hmm. And when he's in the middle of that spectrum, I mm-hmm. think of him as Angelit. He's not Angel. <laughs> not Angelus. <laughs> it needs a new name. He's in soul. Yeah. But he's not about the greater good. Yes, he's angel-esque. He's angel-esque. Yeah, that's a better word. <laughs> I really, really, really love that space with yeah. him. And mm-hmm. this angel in 1952 smokes. And we've only right. ever seen Angelus do that. Right. And I mm-hmm. love it. Um, and yep. then the whole, you know, are you now or have you ever been a member of the Communist Party? We're seeing mm-hmm. some of the human history and cultural yes. shifts that Angel has lived through. Mm-hmm. And I love that. Yeah. And Angel knows right away that Judy's not the maid. He is not mm-hmm. interested in helping her. But when he's put to the test, he does anyway. Um, yeah. And when that investigator is like, look, pal, this really isn't something you want to get involved in. Angel says that's true because mm-hmm. he doesn't want to. 
Right. But then he smashes the guy's face into the door. <laughs> and, right. And I mm-hmm. love this portrayal of Angel so disconnected and completely alone because we're not in that shock feeding off rats, you know, can't like right. he, he is mm-hmm. taking care of himself. Yes. He is functional. He's actually taking mm-hmm. good care of himself. Yes. But he only mm-hmm. tolerates humanity and he has no real place or purpose. And he keeps himself separate. Exactly. And yeah. there's so mm-hmm. much potential there for either yep. light or darkness in him. Mm-hmm. And I love that space. Um, yeah. And, mm-hmm. you know, cold, angry angel. Hello. It's just oh, great. Oh, yeah. And I love stories with multiple timelines. And I love how the mm-hmm. suitcase is still hidden in the ceiling where Angel left it 50 years later. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. it, it's just fantastic. Yeah. No, I think it's all really, really good. Um, I also like that we've got another really interesting, fully realized character of color on the show. Mm-hmm. You know, in an episode where we're dealing with a dark period in American history, we're talking about racism. She's talking about passing. We have a, a touch on homophobia when Angel sees the two men in the hallway, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're kind of addressing all of that. But at the same time, like... How many damsels is this now? Oh, have we lost count, we have lost of, count the of the damsels? We we have an <laughs> excess of damsels. We have an excess of damsels. Yes, we do. Um, so it was, you know, like I liked all of that stuff. I like that we're talking about these things. I like that we're looking at the way that people behave. It is it is eerily, um, you know, uh, relevant to what we're experiencing now. So I find uh, both of these episodes that we watched tonight a little more disturbing yeah. than than I normally would. Yes. Um, but it's um, but it's really good stuff. Um, I also have to say, and you know me, I have to have my technology moment right Mm -hmm. (laughs) where i squee about the technology but nice clamshell macbook cordelia (laughs) (laughs) i wanted one of those so bad i didn't ever get one but i wanted one they were so cool i know (laughs) i love her it's not that vampires don't photograph it's that they don't photograph well (laughs) which also makes no sense because on the inside of a camera is a mirror Exactly. Yeah, there's no there's no sense for any of that. Yeah. But, you know, <laughs> uh, whatever. <laughs> whatever. They videotape Spike over in, you know, um and Buffy and and Angels. They've got pictures of Angel from all those years ago, so I'm just letting it go. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I guess the film, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> Whatever. I, the the whole no reflection thing always was a little bit weird for me anyway. Um, but uh, but I like uh, Denver, the mm-hmm. bookstore owner, right? When he goes in, he's throwing the Bible at Angel. I love that guy. Mm-hmm. He's really tough. He's like standing up to a vampire, you know? <laughs> and I love that when Angel says, now it's been a long time since I've opened a vein, but I'll do it if you pull any of that Van Helsing Jr. crap with me. <laughs> I was like, go Angel. <laughs> Angel. He's got him in a headlock and he says, I want the books mm-hmm. in the back. I'm like, I hell yeah, because that <laughs> is always where the good books are. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> but I love seeing everyone gathering at the Hyperion for the first time. Mm-hmm. That's always really exciting when they all walk in. Um, I also love it when uh, when Wesley basically snaps his fingers at Gunn and says, Orb of Ramjarin, and, and Gunn is like, Orb of Ramjarin, please makes it happen. Yes. <laughs> it's so great. Gunn is so I great. I know. 
I also love that Gun, with a crossbow, is able to shoot and pin down one of those wildly waving demon tentacles yeah. because that is some serious high level shit right there. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. He's a great shot. And I like Wesley yeah. kind of working the spell. Because um, yeah. we're kind of moving Wesley from researcher to practitioner. Mm-hmm, and I mm-hmm. like that a lot because he's, yeah. his competency is growing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, it's really good. And I love when they're at the end and Cordy says, 70 years of violence, mayhem, and paranoia, bad vibes. And Angel <laughs> says, we're moving in. And Cordy comes right back with, I mean, a few throw pillows, what's not to love? Because right. she's so ready to get Angel Investigations out of her house. <laughs> she's like, haunted hotel? Fine, I'll deal with it. Sure. Just- <laughs> Fine, whatever. She will roll with anything because Cordy is badass. Yep. That's why. I love it. She's very cool. <laughs> All right. So there wasn't much to stake, but did you have anything to stake in this episode? I don't know that it's necessarily something to stake. It's mm-hmm. just Judy's torment for 50 years. Yeah. 50 years is too much. It it just mm-hmm. breaks my heart. And when she asks Angel, am I safe? I start mm. crying. Yeah. I just, I can't, I can't. And, you know, all she wants to do is go out. And she mm-hmm. never gets that chance. She dies right there. Yeah. You know, and even if she was able, Angel couldn't have taken her out in the daylight yeah. anyway. Mm-hmm. But it it's so sad. Um, yeah. And I, and I do like that she gets that moment with him and she gets that forgiveness. But mm-hmm. the pain of that is yeah. it's just too much for me. It, it hits beyond my threshold to handle. Aww. I think it's yeah. beautiful in the story. It's just too much. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, it's an incredibly powerful moment. Mm-hmm. Definitely. So it's not really a um, stake. It's just a... Kelly's not tough enough for it. <laughs> oh, that's all right, baby. You don't have to be tough. You don't have to be tough. Um, I think for me, like, uh, I didn't particularly care for the the inside baseball Hollywood, you know, um, are all screenwriters this crass? Are all actors this naive? And I've written it a million times. And like all that, like I could have lived without any of that nonsense in the background. I don't know why it just annoyed me. Um, but the only thing that really annoyed me was this moment where, um, where I think it's Angel who says, watch his tentacles to Cordelia. Uh-huh. And Cordelia goes, excuse me. And then Wesley says, tentacles. Uh-huh. And it's like, okay, first of all, yes, let's make a testicle joke. Second of all, please stop making Cordelia be the stupid one who can't understand words. Yeah. You know, like I just, ugh. So that that bugged me a little bit. Um, but that moves us into research mode with unanswered mm-hmm. questions. And I got to say, here's the thing. Angel's drinking human blood, right? Yeah. He's getting O positive from Cordelia. He's drinking human blood in the 50s. He's going and getting the, the jars of human blood. Um, and I know that there are places in you know in the world where we've said that human blood makes it harder to resist you know the temptation the vampiric temptation to drink from a human yes you know and that animal blood is safer and i believe angel has had animal blood in the past they've done pig's blood a lot um so this felt a little weird to me like slightly inconsistent 
And do you, do you see that? I mean, he's been drinking human blood. I mean, he had the blood bags with um, what's her face in eternity where he, you know, opened them all over her face. And, uh, you know, all of that stuff, like it's it's been human blood. I mean, it's been presumably human blood mm-hmm. this whole time. But it seemed a little weird. And I actually opened it up on Discord and people found a few references, which are spoilery. So I'm not going to go into right. them now. It's just like, you know, future characters and this kind of thing. But where uh, at a couple of times, you know, throughout Buffy and Angel, we will suddenly shift into the good vampires drink animal blood and the bad vampires, you know, feed directly from the tap, mm-hmm. right? So, um, I don't know, like, am I, did I miss something? No, I, and I think the, okay. the answer is there, but it is a spoiler. But mm-hmm. the way I see it is this relates to where Angel is on the pendulum spectrum. Yes. The closer mm-hmm. he is to his dark side, the more dangerous human blood is for him. Oh, okay. And right now, he's not in a dangerous space. All right. So okay, that's how I've always read it. Um, I really mm-hmm. think it makes a difference. I yeah. think human blood is physiologically healthier for him. It's mm-hmm. what he needs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And animal blood is almost a form of self-deprivation. Mm-hmm. But the closer he is to darkness the more dangerous human blood becomes and i think it also has a lot to do with how long it's been since the last time he had fresh human blood from the source yeah so like the Mm -hmm. longer it's been since he bit someone Mm -hmm. the safer it is for him to drink it distilled (laughs) yeah Um, but that Mm -hmm. is completely my headcanon and there's no textual evidence for that at all yeah, I don't know, but I think that that's uh, that's actually a fairly good explanation for it. I mean, I feel like it's just an inconsistency mm-hmm. that they they didn't really you know like nail that down, <laughs> and so they just like they they have blood depending on whatever the scene needs, whether it's human blood or whether it's animal blood is just kind of dependent upon wherever we are in the space wh- who's thinking about it, yeah. you know. Um, but uh, but I thought that was kind of interesting. I was a little confused by that. The other thing that I had, um, which was actually kind of a hopeful thing, is that looking at Are You Now or Have You Ever Been brings me back to the fifties, mm-hmm. right? Uh, McCarthyism, the paranoia, you know, lynchings. Um, terrible, terrible things happening all over the country. Um, again, a country kind of um, in in fear, you know, and taken over by this. And and we are not at our best selves. And I mean, granted, America has a very shaky history. This idea that America is the place where, um, you know, where we fight for the goodness and rightness, and you know, and we're we're good, good people. It's it's there are good people in America. I'm not like you know, I'm American. I love my country, um, but part of that love is also acknowledging where we have very very serious problems, mm-hmm. and and we have very serious problems with regard to racism and misogyny and anti-Semitism and all of the different things that basically speak to this idea that there is a hierarchy of human value right and that the only way to preserve you know what you have is by making sure that there is somebody lower down on the ladder than you mm-hmm. which is is a faulty way of of thinking and this is a country that was born uh, uh, on the practice of slavery like we have been you know engaged deeply 
in in racism from the get-go, from the beginning. But we're also a country that is built on ideals and is built on on aspirations to something that we can do better. Um, you know, it's it's in the founding documents, all men are created equal. And that should be all men, all women, all people mm-hmm. are created equal. And that is something to which we constantly aspire. And so we have this this kind of constant conflict between what we've been and what we aspire to be um, and what we can be. And so as I look back on the, you know, this time frame, this 1950s time frame, I remember that it was followed by the 60s. It was followed by the 60s where we had the Civil Rights Movement, where we had the Civil Rights Act, where people started to step up and do the right thing. Mm-hmm you know, and that we came out of that and did some good, you know, and and that maybe um, it kind of gives me hope as I remember that part of our history, that we can sort of swing back to a place that is really about respecting people um, and and giving opportunity to everybody. Um, And we've got a lot of work to do to get there. But I haven't had a lot of hope lately. Yeah. And remembering that we we came out of that that time period and and did some good that that we can do it again. And so I'm I'm just kind of hoping that 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 will happen. I think that's beautiful, Lonnie. And so, mm-hmm. you know, Jed Bartlett was my president. I think Lonnie Dinerich yes. might be now. You can be my story preacher and my political leader because that that is a beautiful view. In the face of a of a sorrowful episode, and I love that you bring yeah. that to this discussion, um, because this is one of those episodes that makes it hard for me to hold on to that kind mm-hmm. of hope, because the sorrow of it is so overwhelming, and I love yeah. that you see that, and that you end on that, that hopeful note, because you're right, mm-hmm. you know, and, and if paranoia can work in society that way, then so can love. And, mm-hmm. and that's a beautiful idea. Yeah. So I'm I'm, I'm hopeful. Yeah. <laughs> I'm still I'm still white knuckling it through 2018. <laughs> but, but I'm hopeful. Well, white knuckling a bottle of scotch just, through 2018. Seriously, that's how it's going. Don't watch The Handmaid's Tale because it will take all of that and crush it. Um, no, no, I'm I'm way too yeah. fragile for brilliant. <laughs> it is tale. it is brilliant and it is fantastic. Mm, yeah. But oh my god, it will shake yeah. your very basic faith in humanity and <laughs> yeah i don't need that i don't need that shaken any no. more than it already no. is i am holding on by a fucking thread as it is um all right so what about you what do you have in research mode? so i have a few um and one just popped in my head that's not in my notes mm-hmm. but you're talking about paranoia yeah. and i think it was interesting that at the end when our current characters come into the hyperion the one who is targeted by the demon immediately is wesley Yes, because mm-hmm. of all of them, Wesley has the most formal education. Yes. He has the most mm-hmm. formal training, and mm-hmm. education is supposed to be the antidote to that kind of paranoia, right? Mm-hmm. That's the whole purpose of a liberal arts education: is to understand mm-hmm. yourself and the world and humanity, and and kind of open yourself to that. And mm-hmm. and it's very interesting for me to see Wesley on the dark side of scholarship 
And I like the depth yeah. that this show adds to that. Because normally, when you have a character who's, you know, just very smart and very good at research, mm-hmm. they kind of become a walking human encyclopedia. You know, they're right. just the person mm-hmm. you go to for answers. And they find the answers, and that's mm-hmm. all. But mm-hmm. but there is an inherent power, and there is an inherent risk that comes with having that kind of knowledge and that kind of access to it, if mm-hmm. you don't temper it with empathy, if you don't temper mm-hmm. it, you know, with a greater awareness of self. And so yeah. if you have that kind of power and you're not also watching your own fear, mm-hmm. it can become a dark force. And it's not something yeah. we see in story a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually think they do it really well in Star Wars. But... I like how they do it here, and I like how Wesley is the embodiment of that. Because when we think about Wesley going dark, I don't think mm-hmm. this is the path that first comes to mind, but I think this path has a lot to do with it. Yeah, I think so. Um, when when the demon was calling out Wesley, I actually thought that was really nice, because we have seen weaknesses in Wesley's character, right? We have seen a dark side of Wesley. And rather than being a shadow Wesley, the way that we have shadow Xander, where it is not textually acknowledged, um, that there are things within him that are dark. Mm-hmm. Um, we're textually acknowledging that with Wesley, and we turn it into a joke. You don't find me particularly paranoid nobody's ever told me I was paranoid oh maybe they're saying it behind my back like that kind of thing you know that kind of ironic joking about it but I feel like there is something deeper there that's sort of hinting at Wesley's darkness Mm -hmm. you know Wesley's pain and we're gonna see um you know not to spoil again but like we're gonna be seeing that as we move through um through the show so I thought it was really kind of interesting how we sort of very lightly touched on it here um but then you know sort of blew past it and made a joke out of it but that's something that we're going to be revisiting again later and the whole like academic one of the things that I find is that a lot of people when they get more educated they become really insecure about it you know that it actually makes them more insecure um you know because of there's this sense of like you know imposter syndrome or whatever I like I don't know I don't know what it is you know um and so a lot of people when they have that kind of level of education they do their best to make sure it's not accessible to other people right right that they they put themselves above and separate themselves and that's something that I don't actually see Wesley doing he is using his knowledge yes. you know and the power that comes with that knowledge to help people and make the world better but I do see a lot of that insecurity in him I do too you know and and I um, like it yeah. because it's not ego it's yeah. not I have this knowledge and I don't want you to have it it's right. I have this knowledge and I can see so much and when you Uh can see that much and you can see it that deeply and you're not anchored in Mm -hmm. some kind of trust love like if if you don't have that at your core when you have this great ability to analyze and predict and understand Mm -hmm. it can be an incredibly scary and lonely place and i think that's what we're seeing in him Mm-hmm. And and I, I yeah. really, I mean, it speaks to me. I really like it. Yeah, no, I like it a lot, too. And I think that it's it's really good. And I mean, I think that, like, I think his fear comes from the idea that he may not be worthy of it, mm-hmm. that he may not be worthy of the knowledge that he has, that he may not be good enough. Right. 
you know? Right. Um, and I think that that's at the core of, of Wesley's darkness. So I find that really interesting. Okay. What else do you got for research? Okay, mode? So this is a simple one, but um, mm-hmm. Angel's room number at the Hyperion is called out several times. Mm-hmm. It's room 217. Is yeah. that a tribute to Stephen King and The Shining? I presume that it was. Okay. I mean, I don't know, but I presume that I, I don't think it's a coincidence that he's in 217. Yeah, I was just curious. And I, I thought that was kind of yeah. cool if it was. Um, yeah. And then I wondered, is when we have Denver at the bookshop, is this mm-hmm. the first time we've seen a Bible burn a vampire? Because yeah. we've had crosses and we've had holy water, but now it's a holy book. And how does Denver know that Angel is a vampire? Well, I mean, Denver, I think, has a bookstore that I presume had the text, you know, that has these ancient texts. So, I mean, my presumption is that he's just somebody who knows. And, like, how does he know he's a vampire? I don't know. Maybe there are, like, hints that you can look out yeah. for or something, but like, I, if you know what to yeah, look for. Yeah, I just like when we have someone in that space of, like, the bookstore... Uh-huh owner the librarian Mm -hmm. the researcher yeah they seem to be yes right they seem Mm -hmm. to be able to recognize vampires i think people who know know Mm -hmm. you know people who know about the demons who know about the vampires who are schooled in it i think that they you know there's something they know to look for that makes vampires different or whatever um but yeah as as far as the bible like i do think this is the first and I I'm I can't swear by it, but I think the only I time think so too. that we see a Bible burn a vampire. I think so, too. so I thought that was really interesting. Um, and yeah. then I loved the name of the Hyperion because yeah. this is from Greek mythology. The mm-hmm. Hyperion was the Titan who ruled over the sun and light. Mm-hmm. So this was mm-hmm. the father of the sun god Helios, the moon goddess Selene, and the dawn goddess Eos. And you have this becoming the headquarters and home of a vampire who cannot go out in sun. Mm -hmm. And I freaking love that. Yeah. And I don't know if they have additional meaning that they intended for Mm -hmm. it, but the idea of a warrior and champion who can only operate at night, making his home in the palace of the sun Mm -hmm. just delights me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, that's great. So, and then my last research question was a story question for you. Mm-hmm. So from a narrative perspective, we seem to have shifted from a noir detective show with supernatural elements in season one to a supernatural show with noir elements in season two. Oh, and yeah. I don't know if mm-hmm. I got that right. Um, oh, I think but you I, do. Would, yeah. I would love your, your take on that and just kind of like what we saw in season one and now where we're going based on these first two episodes. Yeah, well, I mean, the first season, right, we had the office, right, and then Angel's space, you know, underneath, Mm -hmm. right? But in the office, we have, I mean, the Venetian blinds are like this classic noir, you know, visual thing. Like, it's always the light getting sliced apart through the Venetian blinds, you know? Um, And so that's something that visually is a big part of kind of the noir aesthetic, you know, and we've gotten rid of that, right? Um, We've moved into this much broader, Broader, much bigger space it's it's you know up he's above ground like before he was below ground in his little like oh. basement dweller you know 
know, apartment. Yeah. But now he's above ground. Um, now, you know, they're all kind of in this in this place together. We're expanding the team. Um, Angel is um, is definitely, I think, you know, we're we're doing this more um, supernatural. Although we we do have kind of the elements of corruption. That's something that like Kate as the detective, you know, was a big part of. She was she was kind of pulling the show in this noir space, uh-huh. you know. Um, but the supernatural part of it has taken over. We're now working in the realm of the big fight between good versus evil. You know, um, it's it's not this this story about you know one man in a town trying to save people from corruption. You know, trying to save the innocent um, from corruption. And he is already touched by it. He can never not be touched by it, but he can save other people. Mm-hmm. Now we have Angel where he can be uncorrupted, right? That's the whole point of the Shanshu prophecy, that he can have that corruption taken away. He can. There's hope. You know, in, in the noir story, there isn't hope. There's just, I might, you know, maybe I can do the right thing just for the sake of doing the right thing, even though there's always going to be darkness. Mm-hmm. But now we have this element of hope. We have all of these much stronger, like supernatural elements that are really running the space. And I'm not sure that we have much space left for the noir. We've kind of moved entirely out of it. So I think you're absolutely right. Okay, cool. That makes me feel better. Yeah, <laughs> well done. That was so what do we have to brood on? All right. Well, I'll tell you. Are You Now or Have You Ever Been is a fantastic episode. It brings us the Hyperion, which will be an important place for the run of the series. And overall, it's just a good story. I mean, flashbacks are usually an info dump device giving us backstory information that only informs the current story without being stories in and of themselves. But this episode really uses them well, which I think is wonderful. Um, and given the state of the world today, I love that we get this especially hopeful message at the end. And it helps launch Angel out of a shaky season one where it didn't quite know what it was into a strong season two where I feel like, like Angel, the show itself now knows and understands its purpose and its destiny and it's working toward it, which I absolutely love. Absolutely. Me too. All right. So Jones, what's your favorite part? Lorne, Caritas, Gun, and Angel (laughs) visiting Faith in prison. Oh, you had to pick a whole bunch. I couldn't pick just one. I couldn't. There's just too much. Like, there's too much. I can't choose between those things. I have to. I'm greedy, Lonnie. Aw, that's all right, baby. You know what? It's your show. Make up the rules. You can change the rules anytime you want, We don't need any damn rules. We don't need any damn rules. What about you? What was your favorite part? Well, I'm a rule follower, so I'm just going to pick one. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I actually, I was really touched by his giving the forgiveness to Judy Mm -hmm. so quickly without even a second thought. And, you know, there was this whole thing about how I want to go out. Can I go out now? You know, and she ends up lying down, but that is how she goes out. That is how she finally leaves with this freedom. If she had just gone out in the sun, she'd still be carrying everything with her, you know, but she releases that. And I I kind of love that, that message of forgiveness, Mm -hmm. you know, that people, People who are truly sorry, you know, can be forgiven, you know, and and it's a nice kind of small scale um, representation of Angel's longer, harder haul to try to find redemption for all of the things that he has done, which were so much more evil than anything that Judy ever did, you know, Um 
So I really, I liked that. I thought it was incredibly sweet. Yeah, I did too. It was really good. And we want to hear your favorite part. So to join in the discussion on Twitter, you can follow Lonnie at Lonnie Danrich and me at Dr. Kelly Jones and use the hashtag still dead. For more in-depth discussion, visit the Chippers forums, go to chippers.com, click on forum and join in on the fun. Or you can support Chippers Media to the tune of $1 a month or more and gain access to the live chat in Discord, where I will be asking these questions every now and again, like what's up with the animal blood? <laughs> <laughs> you can hang out with me and Kelly and all the Chipperish patrons who are choosing their karaoke songs to sing for Lauren as we speak. Visit patreon.com slash to find out more. You can also show your support for Still Dead by going to Apple Podcast and giving us a review. That's one of the most effective ways to show support for your favorite podcast. Or you can use your social media platform of choice to tell your friends. Word of mouth is a powerful thing. And if you're old fashioned, write a scroll. Share it with the people you love. (laughs) (laughs) Leave it for Wesley to find in 2000 years. We will be back next time with First Impressions and Untouched, the third and fourth episodes of season two, both of which are skippers. So y'all can have a week off. I know we've been running you pretty hard these last (laughs) few episodes, Uh, but you can take a little time off and we will summarize for you but until then Orba Ramjaran please makes it happen (laughs) 